What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to another episode of Off the Dome Radio. Very exciting and fun guest uh, that joins us today. His name is Andrew Gummer. He is also my tattoo artist. So this was a fun one for me as well. Uh, at Andrew Gummer, G-U-M-M-E-R Art. At Drew, at Andrew Gummer Art slash Drew Gummer dot shots. He's also a photographer. So beginning with the interview, we start out with his background, uh, how he got into to tattooing and where uh, he is at today. So with over 10 years of experience in the industry, uh, he started his uh, expertise and his apprenticeship at Altered Image Tattoo and Piercing in Avon, but now he is at Salty Siren Tattoo in Greenwood, Indiana. So uh, again, we get into his background, how his apprenticeship went, what that looked like, and then we asked him some of the most interesting things that he learned about tattooing, uh, and then he talked about the ancient uh, styles of tattooing as well and how this was uh, kind of one of the oldest methods uh, and artistic designs that still are around today. Uh, then he got into the toughest spots or toughest aspects about tattooing, how he had to adjust getting from being an apprentice to actually tattooing on real people. Uh, so he talks about trans transition with that as well and balancing how he joins his own ideas and creativity with the client's ideas. So he kind of talks about how he needs to mix the two uh, and can't just always run wild with it, but he likes to add his own blend of herbs and spices to his clients' ideas and then see what they think with that as well. And Tim, this was the first time you met Andrew, and I know you don't have any tattoos yet. Yes, but there. Yes, did this kind of uh, sway you a little bit more uh, in terms of the idea and what you think about Andrew? Yeah, well, I think I know where I'm going for my first tattoo. Uh, there we go. I think I found my guy. But yeah, I really enjoy talking to Andrew. You can you can just tell he's very passionate about it, and he spent a lot of time just immersing himself in the industry. Like he's very knowledgeable about it. He's learned the history. He's had to uh, just adjust his artistic style a little bit going into the industry. So he talks a little bit about that. Um, and we all go through tough times in life, and the key is hanging on to your passions during tough times in life. And he gets into a lot about that how. Like the tattoo industry, his dedication to that, his family, how it got him through some tough events in his life, with losing his dad, he gets into that. Um, so we appreciate him sharing that. He shares like the philosophical component to tattooing. Like he talks about a book he read um, that kind of influenced that. Um, he's also uh, into UFOs. That's something him mm -hmm. and his dad bonded about. So we talk a little bit about that. Bob Bazaar, Area 51, so a short little discussion there. Um, and then he also gets into where he gets his inspiration for his designs. I know he talks a lot about how he enjoys sitting down at the dining table at his house and just drawing out designs. Um, he also gets into future goals that he has. Because right now he works at the Salty Siren, mm -hmm. but he has aspirations of opening his own studio one day. So it's very exciting to hear like where he wants to go with that, get the entrepreneurial aspect. Um, and then lastly, he gives his final advice to people who are stuck at a point in life where they're really not sure where to go next because um, he was at a point where he was doing that too. So he shares his experience about how he found that um, and how well it has served in his life. So I think a lot of people are going to get some good value from this episode. I hope you guys have a fantastic Thursday. Get some inspiration from our man, Andrew Gummer, episode 99. So, uh, yeah, man, if you just want to kind of give us a quick rundown, who you are, what you do, how how we are, where we are, uh, life of Andrew Gummer. Uh, Andrew Gummer, from Indianapolis, 28, 
tattoo artist, artist in general, but tattooing pays the bills. Um, yeah, I've been doing that come 2000, come February, this coming February, 10 years, been in the game. Wow. Yeah. And met you. Yeah. A few months ago, tattooed you, asked me to be <laughs> on here, here I am. Right on, man. Uh, Has he done all, all your tattoos, yeah, Slager? Yeah, so, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I won't go to anyone else. I'm a yeah. loyal cat. So, how'd you get into tattooing? What made you want to go that route? Uh, and, yeah, kind of oh, what man. motivated you to do that? I don't think there was a particular, a particular thing. I've been an artist for, I'd like to think, better part of my life. Ever since my... Parents would take us to Steak and Shake. We'd ask for a pen or a pencil. Okay, yeah. Just draw on the back of the menu, man. And that's when watching my brothers, watching my dad draw, I knew I wanted to draw. And then you take, I graduated from Avon, so every art class that they offered, I took. And when it came to uh, really start figuring out what you want to do in life, go to college, find a job, different things like that, I thought about college. Really wanted to go, and I took this uh, portfolio class that Avon offered, where basically anybody who wanted to pursue a career in art every day after school, you, you earned a credit for it, but kind of like an uh, art club. And you just got a huge portfolio together, ready to send off to different art institutes that you'd want to apply for. And then when it started kind of getting down to the wire, talking to uh, guidance counselors at Avon, I didn't, wanting to pursue my career in art wasn't possible going to college at that point, okay. if that makes sense. Yeah. So basically I had to, my grades weren't good enough, in lack of a better term. So I had to either go to Ivy Tech or some community college, get my credentials out of the way, year or two years down the road, and then I could think about transferring to an art school at that point, and I just did not want to do that. And I was kind of iffy on the whole art school thing anyway so really deciding at that point like I want to be an artist but don't want to go to school like what am I going to do and I always thought tattoos were cool and that's what I basically told my mom and dad and we did our research and found out that the best way to go about it instead of teaching yourself is to pursue an apprenticeship so she helped me my mom did reach out to some local tattoo shops and Altered Image in Avon is the one that kind of got back with us more efficiently. And they did offer apprenticeships, so asked them the whole rundown and they said just bring some artwork in and see if, see if we like you, see if you like us. So I did, and I just happened to have a portfolio that I wasn't going to be showing anybody. So okay. I brought it to these guys and they liked it, you know what I mean? But you could tell it was a bunch of just art school paintings of mountains and different things that I was told to paint stuff like that so they wanted to see what I drew on my spare time what was my natural way of drawing I guess you could say so they uh, asked me to come back with a different portfolio next time and that's when I brought in a whole bunch of unfinished homework assignments <laughs> school notes that I, where I should have been taking notes but I just sat there and drew <laughs> drew on the back of everything different scrap pieces of paper all that kind of fun stuff, and then uh, that's what I showed them, and that's when they showed interest in apprenticing me. And then at that point, they asked my parents to come in, and if they were willing, sign a what's it called a uh, document, basically. like a consent form, basically. Consent form, yeah. Okay. Basically, uh, 
A contract. That's the word I was looking for. Got it. Signed a contract, and it was 3000 for a year, 1500 up front. In the first six months, I don't tattoo. They teach me the ins and outs of the industry, sterilization practices, drawing different styles, not just my style, understanding the history of tattooing, needles, machines, all that kind of fun stuff. So, And then after six months, and I paid the other 1500 then we'll start talking about tattooing and start mm-hmm. actually getting a machine in my hands. And So I did that, and... Paid the fifteen hundred, which was my parents' entire uh, tax return that year. Oh, so wow. they helped me. They helped me get get into that. They helped my brothers get into college. So I guess it was my college tuition. Fair enough. <laughs> Maybe so, a little less expensive. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. yeah. just a little bit. Thinking you at the same time. <laughs> it was all. It was a sketchy investment at the time, just because my very first time ever walking into a tattoo shop was to apply for that apprenticeship. Okay. So I didn't know anybody with the tattoo. My brother had one tattoo done at a done at a tattoo party somewhere. Besides that, none of my friends, nobody in my family. I didn't like I said, I've never stepped inside of a tattoo shop. So it was a gamble for me. I didn't know if I was gonna like it. So obviously my parents kinda coughing it up, but they knew it was something that I wanted to do and it was this or nothing. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Start put on the start getting put on the uh, pay grade of my dad's construction company or something, you know what I mean? And right. There wasn't, another, there wasn't another step if I didn't take this one. So I took it. My parents helped me do it. And, yeah, it's pretty much where that was February 2010. So I was just a few months graduating from Avon. So those last few months in Avon was really, really hard to kind of care, pay attention. Mm-hmm. And then, believe it or not, that's when I started getting good grades. When I graduated Avon, I had straight A's, which was the first time my entire mm. career in high school, you know what I mean? When you knew it was time to go out. Started, yeah. Believe it or not, when they say if you just apply yourself, shit gets done. <laughs> it's true. Crazy. You know? Some people I just know wanted, a few things. I just wanted to get out of there and go out, you know, kind of not slacking the whole time. Just might as well do what I'm supposed to do because now I know what's coming next. So yeah. that's when, yeah, that's when the whole tattooing journey started. Nice. And I, did that so then when my year was up they uh basically wanted me to stick around for another year free of charge still at the still at the level of an apprenticeship i guess you could say and uh but start focusing on just tattooing and not have to worry about all the little tedious tedious uh things they make apprentices do okay <laughs> right on yeah um so did you stay with them for that next year then yeah, I did. I actually stayed with them for the next six years after oh, wow. that. And uh, yeah, they really, my mentor, Scott Sexton at Altered Image, he became my best friend in a way like a, a father figure in the industry, you know what I mean? Taught me a lot about tattooing, but really kind of taught me how to be a person in the industry, how to survive mm. and how to treat clients and how to treat the whole art and history of it and kind of kind of explained to me the whole like ritual way of pursuing tattooing you know what I mean no shortcuts take it all do everything that walks in the door yeah I mean that's cool yeah so I I wanted to stick with them man and felt honored and these old school guys that I worked with for a long time they treated me as an apprentice at first you know what I mean like I was worse than scum on the bottom of their shoes you know (laughs) gotta start somewhere gotta gotta start from the very bottom man that's their whole thing yeah break you down and it's up to you to build yourself back up if you Mm -hmm. really want it and they treated me like that for 
well more than a year, two years, three years. You know what I mean? I was eventually got to the point where, out of seniority, I was there as some of the, one of the longest out of the guys who started the shop. So <laughs> nice. Yeah. Well, I think there's something like I know you said your grades weren't good early on, but I think there's something to be said of like you're interested in what you're interested in. Yeah. You know, it's like kids who read in high school, like, man, I hated that book. And then it deters them from reading down the road. Like, now, like, we read all the damn time, and it's like, man, I didn't want to read in high school. Like, shit was lame. Yeah. But now we can read what we want to. I had an interesting conversation with a guy, Dr. Andy Galpin. He said, man, when I was young, doctor told me I had ADHD. And I was like, fuck you. He goes, I just don't like shit that I don't like. Mm-hmm. He's like, I can stay up till 5 a.m., reading research or doing things that I'm super into and not need anything to keep me up. Uh, he's like, there are no character flaws. There's superpowers. Mm-hmm. It's like, so if someone's got ADD, no, it's a superpower. Just find what that person's into and they'll be 10 times more zoned in on that than anyone else will on will yeah. be on anything that they're forced to do. Yeah. And I was like, that's such like a paradigm shift of mm-hmm. we all have ADD for the thing we want to have it for. Right. So not like to downplay people with like a disorder but to a degree like we all have something yeah and think how much better people would do in school is if instead of assigning a single book for book reports they told you hey this is kind of what we want you to learn go pick a book and mm-hmm. we'll, we'll prove it and you can, you can yeah that, or just so. a simple what do you want to read or write about yeah what would you guys like to write about yeah like give them an option like mm-hmm. that gives them empowerment they're like oh I wrote a damn good paper on something that I really like yeah mm-hmm. no that was something I learned kind of early on that I mean, you can't put 30 kids in one classroom and teach them all the exact same, you know what I mean? Right. Like, mm-hmm. if I'm 28 now, so if I, could, if I could go back, I wish I could do school all over again because now I know how I, how I learn mm-hmm. and how I kind of take in and perceive the world, and I didn't have an, a single idea of that mm-hmm. back yeah. when I was in high school, you know what I mean? Right. I was worried about, you know, the zits on my face and... <laughs> the way I dressed and mm-hmm. yeah. stupid shit like you know what I mean the normal teenage the stuff the friends yeah. the girls yeah man it's, yeah. It was, that, that was my concern and then when it came down to like cracking down and doing it there was hardly anything that actually struck my interest unless it was art related yeah. you know what I mean or history related I've always liked history but I mean like integrated international relations like that's a class I took I couldn't tell you what I did in it. Yeah. You know what I mean? I didn't understand any of it. Probably didn't get a good grade in it. But, you know, the, but I know it was about international relations between countries. And nowadays, like, that's one of the things that interests me the most. Is yeah. understanding the world around me and how things communicate with each other. So, yeah, no, I, I agree with you, man. That's awesome. It was something that started realizing that when I, when I want to do something, I want to get good at it. I, I try and get good at it, you know what I mean? Yeah. I wanted to play guitar and played guitar to the point I was in a band and I wanted to skateboard and I skateboarded enough till I, in my opinion, I got pretty good at skateboarding, yeah. you know? And then I wanted to paint signs, so I started sign painting, I wanted to do photography, so I started doing photography and you, it's not just doing it, it's diving deep into the history and the psyche of what it takes to be that kind of artist and what kind of sleight of hand and how to how to notice things around you, like signs, you know what I mean, and different, different ways letters are shaped, or even photography, the different lighting and textures on things. It's something you can get hardcore into, mm-hmm. yeah. When it, if it's something that interests you, you know. Yeah. But it's 
I mean, how do you figure out what a kid's interested in if they don't know? You know, right. Right. And I think that's super cool how your parents helped you too. It's oh, like, man. you know, you, yeah. you hear a lot of stories uh, about like, there's that understood expectation of this is the route. Then you get a yeah. good job with good benefits. You do that, you get a family, that's kind of it. Yeah. But they saw like, all right, this isn't the traditional route, but it's, it's what he wants to do. Yeah. So I think that's cool. Were they always like that supportive of, of um, you and your, your siblings and things? Yeah, 100%, man. No, I think that was... I don't want to say it's a disposition. It's obviously like quite the opposite, but it's something that most people, when they have troubles with the world, you know what I mean? Or if they have troubles with their home life and they have to like take it on. And those are the people, you know, they, they make movies about, write songs about, and those are the people you hear about, but you don't hear anything about somebody who's like has an awesome childhood, whose parents were extremely supportive of them with everything they right. ever wanted to do, you know what I mean? And that was my parents. Both of them. I mean, when I joined a band and we started playing shows, my dad went out and bought a clinker of a van just to have us to drive around and have our stuff to put stuff in. You oh, that's cool. Oh, that's so awesome. So, <laughs> that's we, cool. We got lucky, you know what I mean? It's like he was so supportive of that. And then same thing with my mom. She's the one that emailed the tattoo shops to see if they offered apprenticeships, you know? So they both, yeah, and both my brothers and everything they ever did. They support it 100%. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's cool. We got lucky. Yeah. That's great. Andrew, I want to ask, when you were going, like, those, that first six months and the time when you were learning from your mentor, when you were learning the industry of, of tattooing, is there anything about the industry specifically that drew your interest or anything? Oh, yeah. Like, as you were learning, like, what were some of the interesting things that stuck out to you? As you Besides were the, about all the new smells I started smelling, <laughs> <laughs> all the different chemicals and the inks and just different stuff like that, man. But uh, really, I think my mentor, Scott, definitely, and this guy named Buddy Patterson, who also still works at Altered Image, they uh, kind of really ingrained in me that, like, what you're getting into is bigger than yourself, and mm-hmm. it's bigger than what anyone actually thinks it is. And, like, the way I've kind of figured it out, just learning the history of it, you know what I mean? As next to, uh, besides cave painting, tattooing or the art of tattooing is the oldest art form that's ever existed you know what i mean it's as old as time yeah they find you know cavemen that are 16 15,000 years old with tattoos on them so realizing that and then you start learning like the history of you know the polynesian and the marquesian islands and then it migrated to you know great britain and then great britain prisoners and then it like migrated over here and it's the sailors that did it here and it's just something that for in lack of looking at it from the outsider perspective in it's something that shouldn't have existed or even become something if that makes sense you know what i mean okay but it's grown into this giant industry and really like going to conventions my first convention really blew my mind that you know there's there's thousands and thousands of people at these things you know what i mean and two years ago i'd never heard of them before i didn't know they had tattoo conventions I know tattoo artists all got together and did art and sold art, talked about art for a whole weekend, you know what I mean? That was pretty, that was a foreign concept. And then going and realizing that there's this whole underground thriving world that is existing under everyone's noses, like that's pretty fucking cool to be a part of, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a lot of people who like had mentors or they knew somebody who grew up tattooing or they had a friend who got a tattoo and they went with them for the first time, you know what I mean? The fact that I kind of, in a way, like, 
uh, tattooing found me in a sense you know what I mean I didn't necessarily like go looking for it and I dived into it with nobody telling me any better you know what I mean yeah. warning me warning me about the trials and tribulations you'll face as a tattoo artist but I mean that was something that I chose to do so realizing that was something I chose to do my parents are supporting me in it and it's something that like I said it's, it's as old as time man there's this history that no one knows about and there's this thriving world that no one knows about mm-hmm. and to be yeah just kind of a part of that I thought was like the coolest coolest sounding thing in the world yeah. So I want to get back to the, the trials and tribulations of, of being an artist, but you mentioned that it's tattooing is something that like shouldn't have existed. Yeah. What do you mean by that? I mean, like if uh, it's still a lowbrow art form in a lot of ways, and the way people see it, you know what I mean? It's still only prisoners or bikers get tattooed. Okay, I mean, so I, like that's with changing. the stigma. Yeah, that's okay. stigma. It's changing slowly but surely. It's changing, but it's, I mean... Poking, poking your skin, just like, I mean, people don't go around making a career painting caves anymore, you know what I mean? Fair or stitching, stitching drums out of animal skin or something, you know what I mean? Something that existed that long ago has all kind of died out or something. It's become modernized to the point of where it doesn't exist. We can still look back on it, but like writing on tablets that evolved into laptops and the mm-hmm. internet in a way, you know what I mean? Like, but Got tattooing it. has, in theory, stayed the exact same all mm-hmm. through the eons you know so I just think it's something that yeah should have died out we should be looking back on it in history books and, you know people used to do that to themselves that's yeah. nuts or even like <laughs> piercings you know and stretching the earlobes and putting gauges in your nose like that we should be looking back or looking at a National Geographic being like man like we were nuts back in the day but <laughs> yeah. it's something that not just it's still going on but it's growing Oh, there's mm-hmm. the one Growing culture where rapidly. they like, put stuff around their necks to make their neck really long and skinny yeah. or something like that. Yeah. I forget which culture, but like the gold rings about. all around the neck. And yeah, it's like, yeah. and like that, that for example, didn't take off around the globe. And you yeah. don't find people in New York City doing that to look better. You know what I mean? Yeah. But tattooing's been around that long and it's just people do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Millionaires do it. Yeah. Everybody does it. Yeah. At some point it, it became an art and a way of people expressing themselves. Yeah. I bet at some point, like, it became a common understanding. Like, people saw their people getting it, and like, oh, that looks cool. Oh, that's a good form of expression. And then people started perfecting it as an art. And I think that just slowly vibrated across the world. That's mm-hmm. kind of, I bet that's how that happened. But yeah. yeah. And I mean, it's, yeah, it's been a slow vibration, mm-hmm. but 100%. It's, yeah. I feel like it's picked up quite a bit in the last few years, though. Yeah. I don't know how it is coming from an artist's point of view, but yeah, I, I, I think the stigma is still there, but I think it's like becoming more of maybe a thing. Yeah. No, I mean, it, when I first started getting involved in the industry, that's what all the old schoolers were saying that, you know, it's you're losing the rite of passage to have somebody secretly in an undisclosed like biker club teaching you the ways of tattooing Mm. that you know what i mean it was an underground you had to earn you had to earn it but now it's you pay any random goofy looking kid from avon have them pay (laughs) you enough money you'll teach you you know what i mean so it's not they thought they thought it was losing that back in i mean 2010 and i thought they were nuts just because in my world i was the only one getting involved with tattooing so i didn't think it was blowing up or anything but now you know, almost 10 years later, I definitely, there's a whole lot more conventions, a whole lot more shops, 
whole lot more just artists in general. You see it on commercials now. I mean, celebrities, everybody, the ta- whole tattooing thing's kind of taken storm. So yeah. in the last 10 years, I think I've noticed a difference. Or maybe just now, since I'm more relative to it, I notice it, if that makes sense. Yeah. That's, that's how I see it. You know what I mean? It definitely has grown in the last 10 years, I would like to think. So does anyone uh, that does like modern tattooing still do like any more ancient style? Like is any of that still prevalent with, with modern day people? Is that I, as much? 100, yeah, 100%. I mean, maybe not, not necessarily in America, but there are people who, you know what I mean, still keep that style of tattooing going Okay. for sure. I mean, you hear about it. I've seen it done a few times at conventions in, I think, Louisville. I saw this guy doing it. And you just hear, I mean, in, over in Japan and still the Polynesian Islands and stuff like that, it's the only way to do it. New mm-hmm. Zealand, I mean, you could go to a modern shop or even Hawaii. I know there's a lot of artists that still do it in Hawaii, that old ancient. What kind do they do? The knocking ancient, oh, like, ancient tool markings, you know what I mean? Like hammering it in you pretty yeah. much. Yeah. <laughs> Forgetting the term right now, but yeah. yeah. No, there's still definitely people who still now, do it a whole lot, brutal. but... Oh, yeah. It looks brutal. Yeah. They probably don't use a numbing spray. They don't use numbing spray. <laughs> <laughs> don't use Vaseline. Copped out of that one. Yeah. Uh, so you referred to some, some trials and tribulations as a tattoo artist. Yeah. Uh, so what, in, in your time, have you kind of seen, dealt with, had to go through, overcome as an artist? I mean, as an artist, as an artist, it's a little more difficult necessarily to say. As a person... I mean, starting so early, they told me right off the bat that you have to give it everything or don't even try. So, and like I said, I was 18. I was, yeah, I was 18. So it's like, all right, give everything. I don't really know what that means, but all right, cool. Yeah. But not realizing that, not realizing that it's going to turn into like a, a year-long plus venture where I'm not hanging out with my friends anymore and I'm not spending time. I'm missing out on family time. I'm working Christmas Eves, you know what I mean? New Year's Eves. I'm missing important birthdays because I work every weekend. You're missing, you're not going to shows anymore because you work on the weekends, you know what I mean? It's, you start giving up a whole lot more than what you actually realize you're doing. So that, I think that was more or less a trial I fought because I mean, I was still a young, young punk kid. And then when we all graduated, and a lot of my friends went and joined the military, and then some of them did went off to college, and then I was still stuck right in the same spot, but dedicating it all to this unique career, you know? Sure. So, I mean, that was, that was tough getting used to, but and it was tough at the time. In hindsight, it was no problem, I guess you could say, you know? Hindsight, so it was 2020. Yeah, hindsight, man. But uh, as an artist, I definitely have noticed that when... I was first starting out when I was an artist before I even got into tattooing. I would sit and draw some, I guess you could say trippy. Trippy shit is what everybody said my stuff looked like, which okay. I really just did a bunch of cartoony different things, but tried different styles in the, in the sense of you would mix realism with, I don't know, some pop art stuff. I like doing a lot of graffiti, a lot of stencil, stencil artwork, stuff like that. So the weirder the better. But then, like, as you start getting into tattooing and you start building a clientele and you want to build your clientele, so you try and, like, do all, as many different tattoos as possible, my creativity 
to just like kind of run wild with it kind of started falling into a controlled track mm. if you may so now it's if you tell me to sit down and draw something crazy i'm going to draw something based off of works as a tattoo mm. as opposed to just going wild with my lines going wild with colors going wild with perspective and like depth and everything like that instead of like i said yeah just getting weird with it maybe getting provocative with it it's like man what would make a good tattoo and like that's now and i hate it i mean that's what my mind has kind of turned into so as a tribulation as an artist i guess that's what would fall into place you know what i mean it's being creative and living and doing a creative job has kind of robbed me of my creativity if that sounds weird okay but like doing your tattoo a lot of tattoos require me to get creative and make me think outside the box and stuff like that but it's always going to have straight lines now you know what i mean Mm -hmm. like there's not going to be too much crazy shit going on in one corner because that's not what works as a tattoo Mm -hmm. if that makes sense yeah we got a whole arm to do man we'll find out (laughs) i want to know obviously you know it a lot you've gotten a tattoo before Mm -hmm. i've never gotten a tattoo myself so i just wanted to ask you like how does like the typical process work like do they do, does someone come in and like tell you what they want? You like consult them. Like, how does like a typical process work for you? That's real, yeah. man, Andrew. Real, man. Yeah, <laughs> typically. Uh, I mean, yeah, email. Um, I made the mistake of putting my cell phone on my business card <laughs> because my mentor did it, and I thought it was a great idea. And everybody else warned me against it, but I've done it for this long, so now I got to keep doing it. So, yeah. texting. If I get back with you. Uh, but definitely email. So you reach out to me. And yeah, I'll tell you to swing by the shop, Salty Siren in Greenwood. And basically you come and I'd, I'd want to meet you in person, which is something I'm kind of strict on. But I do tattoo people that are out of state, so that's not always the case. Hmm. But specifically I want to meet you in person, just kind of feel you out in a way that what you, you're a committed person and what you want is what you want because you could tell me all day through emails what you want but I'm not really going to know until I meet you Yeah. so you bring in a few ideas you tell me what you want and from there basically take a deposit goes towards the price of the tattoo saves your spot in the book goes towards the drawing so I mean the I only charge $20 I only charge $20 deposits for the longest time and then I heard somebody say uh, bigger the deposit bigger the commitment so I was like oh, that's a good mm. idea Nice. So $50 deposit. Sometimes I'll take it to 75 or 100 if it's something that's a big a big piece that I'm going to be drawing, more or less for the drawing. But uh, And then from there, we schedule an appointment, time that works good for you, time that works good for me. And we can do one or two things, either set a consultation appointment where you come in and check out the drawing, any changes you want to make to it right then and there. And then from there, we can set the appointment to get a tattoo. Typically, we set the appointment to get the tattoo, and that's about a month or so out. And then when you come in, that's when you check out all the drawings I've done for you, different ideas I've had with it, ways we can change it. But if you like it 100%, then get you going. Nice. Yeah. So, I mean, it's pretty easy, but I've thought a lot about people who go out of their way to get a tattoo, and it's a really nerve-wracking, it's a nerve-wracking thing. Mm. It's scary. I can totally see how it's scary. So trying to make people feel comfortable. Yeah. You know what I mean? And like their ideas, definitely like one of the coolest ideas I've ever heard. And they should get it, in a sense. (laughs) (laughs) How do you ease them? How do you put them at a peace of mind? The people who are nervous about it. 
I mean, the, again, that's one reason why I like talking to people in person. I mean, some people you can come in and right off the bat, you can tell they're cool. They talk to you in a cool manner. Mm-hmm. I don't really, I mean, they're punctual. They know what they want. Kind of like Colin here. Yeah. And <laughs> Good it's just cool. It's like, dude, I can, yeah. Yeah, you, you speak my language, you know what I mean? So then mm-hmm. I can make you feel at ease. But then there's some people who come in and, like, they're scared to look at you in the eye. They When they hold up their phone to show you their idea, they're shaking and, like, they can't find the picture and they're stumbling over their words. And mm. that's when you kind of don't necessarily want to keep them standing up in the lobby, but bring them back to my room or something or have them sit down. And, like, yeah. I like getting down on my knee and talking to them face-to-face and just talking to them in a calm manner where what they're doing isn't that scary and it doesn't have to be in a sense Mm -hmm. i would almost have to think of an example but basically make them feel like where they are is a comfortable place to be and i'm really into their tattoo and their idea and i'm really excited to do it and i think that would be enough to really kind of calm people's nerves when Mm -hmm. you realize the artist is into it too as opposed to being short with you maybe the artist isn't looking at you in the eye Stuff like that, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Which I've seen, worked with a lot of different artists. Some people are intimidating the second they walk up to you. They don't give you an option. They show you what you're getting and ask for your ID and start getting the ball rolling. But I don't like working like that, man. I like mm-hmm. taking my time, talking to people. And yeah, just trying to make them, make them feel comfortable in a way that what they're doing isn't, it's a big deal, but it isn't that big of a deal. Right. In a sense. Yeah. Yeah. You ever get the people that uh, that maybe didn't either like the way something turned out or have second thoughts about something? Has that ever happened to you where someone's kind of not liked what's been like what's been done? Um, had to deal with that. I mean, if they have, I, I don't know about it. Okay, I wasn't <laughs> you know? sure there was any type of follow up or any. I mean, we definitely. Uh, my mentor taught me, you know, don't let anyone leave if they're not happy with it. Right. And a good artist can fix anything. Okay. You kind of like leave room. You leave room for yourself to fix something if something needs fixed or mm-hmm. enhanced or if a line needs to be bolded up or you need to bring darks more this way because this line isn't as straight or as solid as you want it or something, you know. Okay. So really, I mean, when you're finished, you have someone check it out. You make sure they like the drawing right off the bat and really... They like the drawing and you can explain to them how you're going to approach this and what it's going to look like. And a lot of times I'll pull up other tattoos on my phone and show them in a way, you know, like when I say opaque grays, this is what I mean. And when I say like bringing reds down into like bright yellows right here, it's going to look something like this in a sense, you know. Mm -hmm. So sometimes you got to really break it down for people, but that's how it's kind of saving myself for doing something that they're not cool with. If that makes sense, yeah. you know what I mean. Yeah. But I never, never had somebody say they're not happy and okay. are pissed off and want their money back. Luckily, right. that's never happened. Misspelled. <laughs> I don't think I've ever misspelled anything. Yeah. I've, I've forgotten a word out of a sentence before, but then cover up the last part of that sentence, add the correct version underneath mm-hmm. the rows you used to cover that up, and then I mean you. Now you have a rose on this design that wasn't necessarily planned, but it mm-hmm. looks cooler and it's spelled yeah. right. So there's no spell check on the skin. You can't go no. back and edit that. No, <laughs> yeah, you can't erase ink. Definitely no. want to. No pencil. <laughs> want people to overlook it a hundred times. Like I said, if you got a good stencil, if you got a good drawing, and they understand what you're doing with it, and really, I mean, nowadays I've gotten to the point where people 
kind of tell me to save my breath. I don't have to sit there and explain it. Just do what I want to do. Mm-hmm. And that's when it kind of gets, that's when it gets easy. Not easy in the sense of, easy in the sense where, okay, this person's going to be really cool to work with. I can relax a little bit. But harder in the sense like, oh, man, I can do anything? Yeah. <laughs> Hold on a second, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've never had anybody get upset or pissed off. But okay. That's good. Maybe want something re-hit or they didn't want something that dark or if there's any way we can do this. But I think I, my personality kind of really saves saves myself sometimes. If yeah. someone's not happy, they, they know I'm still into what they're trying to do. Um, so you've... You've been in the game for a, a little while now, uh, and I know you and I have had some some deeper talks about it. But uh, throughout your tattooing career, uh, how has that kind of helped you uh, through just real life, kind of finding your your own groove, finding yourself, kind of. I mean, we've talked about doing things you want to do, positive energy in the universe, things like that. So, how has tattooing kind of helped you navigate through? I mean, life sucks, man. Life is hard. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, yeah. so how has that helped you kind of keep down that that path of like, all right, I'm, I'm doing good things. Like, I am doing what I'm supposed to do. Uh, I mean, it. Uh, figure. I mean, am I doing what I'm supposed to do? I don't. I think that's a perpetually unanswered question. Okay. But I try and do my best. Yeah. You know. Yeah. But I mean, uh, I kind of started tried breaking down. There was this philosophical book I read called I Ink, Therefore I Am. And it's a bunch of psychiatrists and theorists approaching tattooing from a theoretical kind of philosophical standpoint, you know? And it was real interesting, and it really kind of taught me how to, like, you know, like, you sit down, you have a stencil in front of you, and you need to pull a straight line all the while the person's moving, all the while you have all this other stuff in your head going on of ways you want to do you know what I mean there's just there's a million components that go into even getting set up to do a tattoo let alone the act of putting needle to skin all by itself you know what I mean and like what I had to eat that day if I got a good night's sleep like all that times if I had a good drive to work you know what I mean if it's a good day if it's a bad day you know we all wake up and different days are different you know mm-hmm. but uh whether you're sad or upset you still have to perform and it's not you can't necessarily like I'm gonna half-ass this day because then that person's gonna have a half-assed tattoo like you can't do that you gotta Mm -hmm. gotta perform every day and that definitely starts taking a toll but applying it to everyday life when things do start getting tough or start kind of eating at you you kind of start compartmentalizing things in a sense you're just like okay I have to do this but right now seeing it from like as a using tattooing as a eulogy or whatever uh, as an example nothing else matters when that needle goes to skin Mm. you know what I mean the next only thing that matters is pulling that straight line and the next thing that matters is making sure the next line you pull is as straight and as solid as that last line you know and hopefully when you're done and you paid attention long enough that every line is where you want it to be and then you have what you were paid to do in a sense that's tattooing but applying it to life it's like dude okay if i i can sit there and start feeling extremely anxious because there's a million things that have to get done especially nowadays being a father like and paying taxes and issues with the car issues with 
anything. You know what I mean? It can all it can all start getting pretty overwhelming. But if you start kind of breaking it down, you're just like, okay, well, what matters right this second? Right this second, my kid's hungry, so nothing else matters until this kid gets fed. In a sense, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, what's the most important thing right now? So it was. I think that's definitely helped me trying to do, not physically, physically doing two things at once with my hands, but getting better at kind of balancing the more shit life wants to shovel onto you, figuring out how to really balance that out in a way that you don't lose your mind and you stay somewhat positive in the outlook of life in general. I definitely, I would put that on tattooing 100%. That, that's what's basically has got me to where I can sit in a cool room and talk to you cool fellas. Yeah. You know I mean? <laughs> um, so I know like we've also discussed kind of harder times and how tattooing has got you through that. Yeah. Um, we've had listeners reach out where they struggle with, with hard times and we can get into as much or as little as, as you're comfortable with. But uh, I know we've kind of unpacked or you've talked about unpacking things with, with your dad in the past um, yeah. and, and kind of, uh, I'm sure we have listeners who have experienced loss, and if you wouldn't mind just kind of how you have gone through that. So it seems tattooing, you can relate to other areas of like, all right, this has to get done, kid's hungry, car's fucked up, but kid's hungry. Um, how has it helped with, with that since he was, you know, he supported you, bought you a nice, well, maybe not nice, as you put a clinker van to, yeah. to do things. So he, he gave you like the boost. Yeah. Um, and I so mean, how I, has that kind of played a role? I mean, I think it, talking to my brother, Alex, he's the one that's kind of shed some light on, really talking to both my brothers, but they're, they've really kind of shed a light because for a while there, it was like, life actually does suck as bad as it's always made itself out to be, but you always kept like a positive outlook and didn't believe those people who said life sucks, you know what I mean? It's like... Then, like, suddenly you wake up and you're just like, actually, no, dude, the world does fucking suck. You know what I mean? And it took it took my favorite person away, dude. And that fucking pissed me off. Pissed my brothers off. But the way, like, my brother explained it, kind of like what I was explaining, like, it's not a child, it's a childhood disposition having cool fucking parents that support you your whole life and then not having them anymore. Mm-hmm. It, it was almost like he was too good of a dad because now not having him really fucking sucks, mm-hmm. you know? But he also, the way my brother has explained it, it's like, dude, he in a way like kind of prepared us for this moment, you know what I mean? When we, he was showing us how to change oil or change our brakes as teenagers growing up, he would say like, he's not always gonna be here kind of thing, you know? Mm-hmm. And he always reminded you that things can always be worse. And that was like his motto, you know what I mean? Like, what's the worst thing that's gonna happen? You know, are you going to die? No. Then fucking deal with it, man. You know what I mean? Kind of not just deal with it, but if you're nervous about like asking a girl out or nervous about starting a tattoo apprenticeship, you know what I mean? It's like, dude, like what's the worst thing that can happen? You can deal with that worst thing. So go for it in a sense. You know what I mean? So and then suddenly losing him, I definitely lost sight of everything he had taught me in the face of losing him. If that makes sense. Yeah. So kind of lost myself there and trying to figure out, you know, how do you go on without somebody who literally has supported you through everything you've ever wanted to do? And like skateboarding, he would drive me to my friend's house an hour away just to drop me off to skateboard for a few hours, you know what I mean? Then he'd come pick me up, 
If you got a call from the cops telling you to come get your kid because he's breaking windows in an abandoned house, like my dad was there, you know, mm-hmm. helped us out through everything. And then like suddenly he's, yeah, just not there. I thought I was going to be lost, but my brother's just realizing it's like, dude, like I said, he's prepared us for this moment. You know what I mean? Like everything, everything we face now is exactly what he's kind of taught us to deal with. You know what I mean? So then I started understanding that still, you know, kind of losing your way and like the more of like the mental, what's the point of any of this? If you're, you can live 65 years and just slip and hit your head and like, what's the fucking point? What's the point being paying taxes? You know what I mean? And building credit. If at the end of the day, like none of it, some of it can hardly pay for a funeral. Like that's it. You know what I mean? But then I had to, I don't know what I mean? find ways not to think like that because that's not how I've thought my whole life and that's not how my dad taught us to think so really kind of taking what my dad taught me in his life to deal with his death it's like a it's a weird it's it's weird you know what I mean I've sat and thought about it a whole fucking lot Mm -hmm. about that he in a sense did it's almost like he knew something something was going to go down or he wasn't going to be here forever in a sense you know what I mean probably weren't going to get a chance to say bye. He's just not going to be here. So how are you going to deal with it? And like, you know, the last thing I wanted to do was get back into tattooing because my dad said every single tattoo I did was like the coolest thing he's ever seen. Mm-hmm. And he was like, I just, I feel like you're thinking so outside the box. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm, I'm not though, but I'm not going <laughs> to tell you I'm not, but it's cool. You think I am Yeah. But right on dad. So then like you just suddenly don't have that anymore. You know what I mean? And I talked extensively to my brother Alex about it because he, would, he lives in Denver, and he would call my dad when either something was bothering him, if he was having a bad day, he'd call my dad, or if he just got an opportunity for a promotion or, you know what I mean, guess something cool really happened to him, he'd call my dad. So it's like you don't have that support anymore, but you also don't have that, that person cheering you on to keep doing cool shit, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's like trying to find reasons... To keep doing it other than that, if that makes sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think I'm explaining it right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you sharing, man. I yeah. mean, that's, that's a tough, tough thing that you, you still... Well, I hope, our, you know, I hope I t- articulated yeah, it correctly. Yeah, no. Thank I, you for I, sharing I, that. Yeah, I do appreciate that. Because, um, yeah, we, we've talked about it, but yeah, I know it's hard. It's like, you know, you, you've experienced a little more life than uh, some people, too. And you're only 28. Yeah. So, it's like... You know, there we have younger listeners who are like, man, I'm dealing with such and such. So like, to your point, it can always be a little bit worse. Yeah, man. And like, like I've thought out. I've I wanted to seek therapy after losing more or counseling, grief counseling. You know what I mean? Just because I mean, this was deeper than, and really one of the last conversations me and my dad had over the phone was about death and life after death because we were both into UFOs and ghosts and conspiracies mm-hmm. and. The paranormal hardcore and we're gonna get into that <laughs> yeah and like remote viewing i thought i bought a book about remote viewing and thought no one else has ever heard of this like this is the craziest shit in the world you what know what it? i mean basically like going into the meditated state the military had like a special group that taught people how to do it you ever seen that movie uh the men who stare at goats mm-hmm. George heard of it. i've heard yeah, of it I it's a seen. true story about those guys where okay. there was an army branch and they taught you Basically, to get in the meditative state, and you can telepathically 
see what's going on in like Russia. You can see what they're doing behind like secretive bases. Do you know what I mean? Basically viewing something from afar. Yeah. So they would tell, you know, the FBI tried getting, you know, they would give somebody a little girl's doll if the little girl was missing. So then you get a remote viewer in and they sit and they meditate with this doll and then they can like kind of guess where this little girl is. Do you know what I mean? Oh. They can like see him in a sense. So yeah, pretty trippy. But I was like, I, I kind of want to get into this, you know, see, yeah. see if I can teach myself. And then just like in passing, brought it up to, you know, people at work, my friends, my fiance. And everyone's like, yeah, that sounds pretty fucking crazy. Andrew. <laughs> I'm just like, I know. And I'm like, dad. So I called my dad. I'm just like, you ever heard of remote viewing? He's like, yeah, I tried it once. I couldn't figure it out. I was like, of course you fucking <laughs> you were the You're the only person, not only have you heard of it, but you tried it. It's like, all right, I get it. You know what I mean? Um, remote viewing. Got to look into that. It's like third eye type things where I've seen yeah. videos of like a little girl, they blindfold her. Like four blindfolds. Like she can't see shit. And then they, they put a picture in front of her and then they ask her to draw the exact same thing and she draws it just perfectly. Flawless. Yeah. But it's like you've seen like the Joe Rogan logo with his third eye in his forehead. Yeah. It's like that type of shit where they can see even when they physically cannot see Oh. So it's like kind of similar. Yeah, to, to yeah, that. it's exactly that. Yeah, yeah. And these, so, yeah, these guys figured it out way back in like the fifties, sixties, and they tried it and they convinced the military enough to give them a budget and start a program doing it. Wow. For some years, yeah, dude, it's pretty crazy. I think so, they've disproved it though. I don't know if it's yeah. real or not. <laughs> I don't know. I, there, there's nuts shit there's, out there. Yeah. Like I, I can't. Crazier things have happened. Anyone, yeah. So, <laughs> but you and your dad. So you guys were into. Uh, UFOs, kind of yeah. space, that stuff. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, I'm going to gear this towards your MUFON. <laughs> uh, so, how'd you guys kind of get into that? I mean, that was just something that... Uh, well, just UFOs and stuff in general. I think it was something that we found in commonality. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, uh, when it... Are we still talking about my dad? With UFOs and stuff? Or just well, UFOs I mean, in general? You, you mentioned <laughs> the UFOs, but we can... Uh, We've talked to Bob Lazar in Area 51 on here before. Yeah, so. I mean, you that that? Is, what's that? Bob Lazar. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. But yeah, he's got oh, to. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, like, uh, man, I read a book about Bob Lazar when I was like in sixth grade. Oh really? Started like preaching Bob Lazar to people. So is which the story granted, was, still the same? Story's still the exact same. Okay. From what I understand. Okay. Everything I believe, you know what I mean? That he uh, that he did work there. And basically everything that the documentary was about is exactly how I remember him. Okay. But I remember talking to people and telling people about Bob Lazar back then in middle school, and I mean, nobody cared. You know, I was a I was a nut conspiracy geek. <laughs> but now, now he's got his own Netflix documentary and all that kind of. You know, UFOs yeah. are getting popular too. I think I start trends. Yeah, <laughs> and I guess I guess people don't care unless it's on Netflix. I guess not. I guess yeah. Not. <laughs> well, he even said like if he could do it again, he wouldn't mm. like leak it all. He's like, no, I wouldn't do it again. Yeah. He goes like his wife cheated on him. Like people like discounted him, called him nuts. That's what well, like what the government does, do. man. Like they yeah. they didn't just go after him. Like they audited the IRS audited everybody in his family and yeah. like his. He lost cousin's friends. brother-in-law's cousin. Yeah, lost his business. Like, they get your family. They yeah. get you where it hurts. He, like, deleted from school records and things. Mm. That, like, had no record. He's like, do you guys think I went from high school to Area 51? Like, <laughs> I'm smart. Do you think I was that smart? Like, no. 
but he did put like rockets on bikes and cars and shit. I was like, that's yeah. pretty sweet. No, he's he's a smart dude. There's a lot of I don't know, man. UFOs are one of those things that I was so hardcore into and so convinced that there is something weird going on. I don't know necessarily that they've been here, that they're among us, but most certainly that the governments have communicated with them. And Eisenhower back in 54 landed, landed and talked to him, you know what I mean? I think it's weird when, uh, when presidents are debriefed after they're elected and suddenly they start going back on a whole lot of their policies. I think they're told like as the actual crazy shit that's going on, you know, maybe not MIB level, but <laughs> there's some unexplainable things that go on, you know what I mean? That I think the government had a part of, but now, I mean, like I said, that's how I used to think, man, but now it's, I just don't know anymore. Yeah. It's, I, I find it hard to believe that there's not other life out there too. And it's like, the other thing, miles underground, like miles and miles underground. What else do you need that far underground and so secretive, like where they kept expanding the area around Area yeah, 51? Man, they, so it's like something is there. You know, like something that yeah. we should not see or have access to. I definitely there. think, uh, what's it called, reverse engineering is taking place. I, I, I kind of dig Bob Lazar's story, man, that from what he understands, we have aircrafts, but we found them. Right. You know what I mean? Maybe we don't have any communication with extraterrestrials, but we obviously have evidence that extraterrestrials have been here. Yeah. You know what I mean? Trying to figure it out. And then, oh, man. Yeah. Then all the ancient civilizations, the ancient histories of all these things that they're finding now, you know what I mean? That they're, yeah, ancient civilizations, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so I'm going to gear back to the tattooing a little bit. Um when, when you sit down to, to draw or any type of art, uh, do you have a certain practice or, or methodology that you do beforehand or a certain environment or just a certain inspiration? Anything that really triggers when you just sit down to draw? Uh, environment? I mean, obviously comfortable. But yeah. now, I mean, there's a... You kind of have to start at least in tattooing and when you do conventions and when you're working at a shop and maybe everyone's sitting at the drawing table or something, you know what I mean? And you learn to draw in tight spots. So there's not like a comfortable, mm. I have like a, I have a drawing table at home. I don't use it. It's collects okay. junk. You know what I mean? I like being in the living room with my family. So if anything, I just set up at the kitchen table or the coffee or the living room table and just kind of sit down and go inspiration. I mean, Definitely, if like somebody's uh, like for example, I had to draw this biomechanical piece a few days ago, and it's not like I'm into biomech. You know what I mean? I'm not into automotive gears and mm. shocks and hydraulics and pistons. Like it's not like I sit there and think that shit's really fucking cool. You know? <laughs> but I got to draw something that is really fucking cool. Yeah. So how do I make it cool for me? and also translate to what this guy is looking for in a sense. So I kind of have to ignore what a client tells me because then I'm going to try and like fit it into what they can understand mm. and what they are looking for as opposed to they haven't been exposed to what I've been exposed to in the tattooing industry. They don't necessarily know what's possible when it comes to tattooing. So let me ignore what they said. I do, so I'm going to draw this thing that's more or less probably more than what they want you know 
more detailed, more complicated, but put some perspectives, put some twists on it, kind of put my own little, you know, get weird with perspectives or maybe face gears that hit other gears that aren't going the way there's, you know what I mean? Not necessarily get true to it. So I can, so I can have fun with it. So before I draw, I mean, I sit there and I'll look through other references of other tattoo artists that I like a lot. See if anybody else has, you know, if there's anything I'm picturing and someone's done something similar, how would they place it on the body or how would they, if they have this gear connecting to like a hydraulic arm here, like how would it look if it was facing this way? Most of the time you can't, I can't find anything that I'm looking for, you know? So kind of got to leave it up to my own devices, but looking through other, other tattoos, other artists, and I'm really into film. I like... I like movies and cinema a lot. So, I mean, if there's a good movie playing, that will distract the hell out of me. But if there's a good, well-done indie film I like a whole lot, you know what I mean? Uh, music. Music definitely gets me going. But there's not necessarily, like, one thing. Uh, a .9 millimeter mechanical pencil I have to have. I won't use .7s. Mm. They mm. break too much. Okay. Uh, I have to use a certain graphite or a certain... Uh, texture of paper because sometimes they're either too they're either too rough the ones made for illustration in my opinion are just too rough and they eat your pencil too fast you know what i mean and then there's other ones that are too thin and the pencil smears too much so i'm picky when it comes to what kind of pencil and what kind of paper i like to use you know but i'd like to get away from that too i'd like to go digital i'd like to start using ipads and programs and buttons and clicks to make art I think that'd be cool but okay. and that takes money and time yeah <laughs> so I can a little, little low on both yeah but you are looking into that in the near future doing that yeah I would like to do that or get get to where I can take one of my drawings and scan it and then digitally kind of vector it to where I can maybe color it put color to it digitally okay. through a program like Photoshop or Adobe or something or mm-hmm. Because I know a lot of a lot of artists do that. I don't know about necessarily drawing on an iPad. I know a lot of people who do do that and are really great at it. But I don't know. I don't want to. Yeah. I don't want to not be somebody who's open minded and try new things. But I like my pencil and paper. You know, it's not broke. <laughs> no, yeah. no. You can kind of find it anywhere too. <laughs> so, are, do you think that you'll have your own shop one day eventually, or just kind of be on your own at some point, or what's yeah, have you thought like about to, that route? I mean, or? I. I, I think about a lot of things a lot. <laughs> so I definitely have thought about opening my own shop and what I would call it, what's it, what its theme would be, you know what I mean? The whole setup, if I would have, you know, so many artists, what kind of artists would I want? Would I want to be like strictly appointment or take walk-ins, you know what I mean? Would I want to be in a small shop off like a cool little market street that, you know, can only hold like three or four artists or do I want to do something kind of big? I've thought about all that, man. Starting my own tattoo company, I'd like to do as well. Make my own armrest, or I made my own tray that I work off of. You know, mm, that, oh, cool. the baseless, baseless tray stand. So there's no wheels. You can't roll it around, but it's adjustable on an arm similar to this. Oh, nice. kind of like a den, like a dentist yeah. place or something. Exactly. Like that. Oh, right on. Okay. So I, I mean, I'd like to make more of those and sell those. You know what I mean? Make like a not just make my own inks or make my own needles. Like, I'd like to make things that are kind of unconventional mm-hmm. when it comes to the tattoo industry. Like, I'd like to make my own color pencils, wow. my own skin markers. I always thought, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like a gummer art company. Yeah. 
is something I'd like to do, but I also would like to maybe, yeah, do a private studio all by myself, and it's my art studio that I happen to tattoo out of. That's okay. how I'd like to see it, you know what I mean? Yeah, I like that. If somebody comes in, and yeah, I have canvases all over the ceiling and the floor that half painted, some are on stilts, you know what I mean? Other ones are blank canvases, I have paint with uh, tapestries on them, you know what I mean? Some that just looks like an art studio, but then I've got a cool little sterile corner where the running sink and a tattoo chair where I tattoo people out of. I thought that would be cool. That'd be sweet. But, really sweet. yeah, I mean, I, I think about all that stuff and, like, try and, try and figure, break down, like, I'm, I'm here, that's there, what do I have to do between here and there to make that happen, mm-hmm. you know? And it's, I mean, the obvious, you need money. You need money to put it down. You need money, backup money to pay the bills, you know what I mean? To do different things like that or the space or even the, the know-how of business, you know what I mean? I know all that stuff comes into a factor and all that stuff I can all learn in due time. But it's like, what, what takes priority now in a sense, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's like, should a, as a father, I'm like torn, do I get selfish and pursue things like that to where my time is taken away from my family, but it's going towards a cause that will hopefully someday help me make my dream happen. And I think that's definitely something a lot of people don't do enough of, or a lot of people make excuses to not let themselves do that. You know what I mean? Like saying they don't have the money to do it and shit like that. So. The excuses, getting past those, but really, I mean, not being selfish and trying to spend as much time with my family as absolutely possible. Yeah. Because, I mean, my my baby won't be a baby forever, you know? Right. And little girl won't be a little girl forever, so I don't want to look back and be like, man, I got this really dope tattoo studio and making good money, but I missed pivotal points in their life because I wasn't there trying to do this. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Sure. And that's not how... Just balancing that, you know what I mean? Like, is that the way I do want to live my life? Or do I want to, you know, kind of live one day at a time and enjoy, try to find joy in everything, which is hard to do, you know what I mean? Especially, like, like me with losing my dad and everything, you know what I mean? That's like onset depression that I've never felt before. And... I've never had anxiety before. Like, I didn't know what any of that was growing up. It was, it might sound bad, but me and my brothers and my dad, I mean, we kind of didn't think it existed because that's not who we were, you know what I mean? If you had a bad day, it could always be worse. If you're heartbroken or something, it's like, dude, you're, you're a gummer, and you're the, that makes you the coolest person around. <laughs> and if nice. they don't see that, then that's their problem. Yeah. And, like, that's what was kind of installed in us. So then, like suddenly that's not the case at all. You know what I mean? Like, depression is very fucking real, and anxiety is very fucking real. And, like, grief to the point of just anger, you know what I mean, is very fucking real. Like, how do you deal with that? You know what I mean? And, yeah, I didn't didn't seek out, I didn't go to to a therapist, I didn't get put on antidepressants, I kept tattooing, man, is what Mm -hmm. I did, you know what I mean? I got into photography. Photography definitely helped. I got into sign painting. Sign painting definitely helped, you know what I mean? Yeah. And 
bought a house, proposed to my girlfriend, and <laughs> had a kid all within a year, you know what I mean? Nice. Mm-hmm. A lot of that wasn't necessarily like a, a choice I made, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But it's a path I chose to stay on and commit to, and I mean, that's definitely helped out, helped out a whole lot. For sure. If that makes sense. Now, have you talked to your fiance about starting your own shop? Uh, yeah. Does she have thoughts on, you know, timelines and things? Yeah, she thinks whole... I should wait. <laughs> <laughs> she thinks I should wait just uh, to get better at saving money because I haven't been playing this whole adult role for very long, if that sure. makes sense. You know what I mean? I, I lived a rock and roll punk rock lifestyle for uh, six out of the ten years I've been doing this, the, doing tattooing, where I could I didn't have to answer to anybody. I could get drunk or get stoned and not show up the next day and not have anyone to fucking worry about and it's the better you are the crazier you are the cooler you are if you know what i mean mm. that's how i perceived the way being a tattoo artist was you know what i mean the crazier you are nobody fucks with you you know what i mean the yeah. better artist you are nobody fucks with you you know so you just try and stay on top of your game more more as i've gotten older and realized that you know what i mean like definitely sobered up found found the girl that helped me stay sober you know what i mean so more or less it's yeah trying to balance this fatherhood thing trying to stay motivated as an artist and trying to yeah just deal with deal with the shit life throws at you man you know what i mean and it's it's difficult but i also got lucky not just having cool parents but finding a cool girl that understands you know what I mean? That she gets it. Yeah, I wear my mistakes on my sleeve, and I, I do them pretty often. <laughs> you know what I mean? But we love each other. We need each other. So I, yeah, she definitely thinks I should wait until you know. <laughs> I'm better at saving money. Better at paying my taxes on time. <laughs> better at doing my own laundry. Yeah, we can always, always, we can always be better at something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I know we're about to get kicked out of here in a few minutes, but Tim, any uh, final questions you want to ask Andrew? Any anything jumping out to you want to get real quick before mm-hmm. we leave? Yeah, just quick, any quick final advice you had to someone who's at a position where they're about to graduate high school or graduate college and they're really not sure exactly where to go. What advice would you give to them, someone who, who's in that position? Uh, man, I would say uh, definitely don't let your judgment now if that makes sense cloud up what you want to do because mm-hmm. i if if i were to do it differently i think i would do it differently just in the sense i would take it a little more seriously but i didn't have the capabilities i almost didn't have the language back when i was 18 to it really explain or to understand how i wanted to live the rest of my life you know what i mean mm-hmm. so i made the judgment call of, I'm going to do this right now. So that's what I did. And luckily it's turned out for me. But I would think, I guess just a... Yeah, I'd say just do what feels feels right, man. If you Mm -hmm. don't want to go to college, then don't waste anyone's time. Most Mm -hmm. importantly, yours and money. You know what I mean? Uh, I would say just go if you like designing shoes go design shoes you know Mm -hmm. if you like if you like the way cars do run go be a mechanic you know what i mean there's no there's no right or wrong thing to this to this life thing man so Mm -hmm. and there's no rules and there's no rush so Mm -hmm. 
take your time, try different things out, I guess is what I would say. Yeah, dive, dive deep into as much as you possibly can. That's great advice. Yeah, that's what it I got, I got one last thing real quick. This guy can kick rocks if he comes in, interrupts our interview again. Um, what do you, when, when you're gone, what do you want your kids to th- say about you, think about you? Man, I've had, that's actually something that's been in my head a whole lot lately, just because I'm, I'm perceiving my life nowadays a whole lot as if I'm not here anymore. And I, I know it's like a bad, sad thing to say or do, but... It's like that's the only way I can like think about my dad now. You know what I mean? It's like I collected all his cool things in a box that I have now. It's like his whole life to me is now in a box. Mm-hmm. You know, this this person that existed for so long and changed so many people's lives, it's kind of reduced to a box that I can revisit whenever I want. You know what I mean? And like as I'll be fed if I'm half the dad my dad was, I'll be a good dad. But I don't want my kids to just look at a box and like you. I don't want to be fit. To, I don't want to just fit in a box, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I want, I want rooms, tubs full of my artwork and my thoughts and my poetry mm-hmm. and the way I felt about things and the way I think about things. But yeah, no, that's, I want, I just don't want to fit in a box, man. I want them to see me as a good artist and somebody who cared cool. and gave a shit, you know? I like that. Well, Andrew, appreciate your time, man. Hey. You got family and things, but we appreciate you taking some time to I appreciate you guys asking me. Yeah, yeah 100%, anytime, bro. Man. So we appreciate you, brothers. Uh, I think we'll have to get around two at some point. So we'll yeah, kick I'd like so. to. Yeah. <laughs> All right. 100%. Man.